time ago, about 600 years before Jesus, they were incredibly difficult days. The northern tribes of Israel had already fallen over 100 years before into the hands of the terrifying Assyrian army. <clears throat> they were gone and scattered, and those were ancient days by the 600s BC. And then the Babylonians came with another massive army and started to take the southern empire, Judah, and the city of Jerusalem. And that they took in three waves and they carried away the Jewish people, group one, group two with Daniel, eventually group three with Ezekiel, away from the beginning of the time they would be in Babylon to the end, 70 years time. That's a long time to be away from home. Some of the Jewish people, the remnant, those were the faithful, those were the, the best of them, would spend most of their lives, some of them all of their lives, in a foreign country thinking about Jerusalem and the temple and what used to be and what God had planned for their nation, which was no more, apparently, other than promises. Ezekiel gives us all these bizarre visions that are sometimes hard to get a handle on as you're doing Old Testament study, but he's in exile. Daniel preaches to the elite, to the foreign leadership. Ezekiel preaches to the common folk, to the everyday Jewish people in the streets, and he has these incredible visions that show him Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem and the glory of God departing from the Jerusalem area, and it's shattering to the spirit. Ezekiel describes in one place, he says, you as a culture, as a people, you've abandoned family. You redefine family and you've messed that up and kids don't honor parents and parents don't live like they ought to and family life's a mess. And he says, your politicians, they're corrupt. They're always scheming and trying to work ways to enrich themselves at the expense of the people and corruption has characterized your political leadership. And the clergy, the priest, when they preach, he says they whitewash. Uh, I've never painted with whitewash. I've painted with some really bad paint, but you know what whitewash is. It's the cheapest of paints. And he says the clergy, the preachers, they whitewash what's going on. They make it look good enough and they tell the politicians it's okay and the, they tell the public that what the politicians are doing is okay and they just kind of clean it up enough to where it continues on. They were sad, sad days for the Lord's people and they would wait in exile. And the exile's intent was to purge the nation of idolatry and corruption so that they would one day go back to Jerusalem and rebuild and start over and live as a more pure people of God. And Ezekiel's listening to all these things from God and God says to the, to the prophet Ezekiel, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall. The walls around the city were always a big deal and in the years after Ezekiel they would return Nehemiah would rebuild that wall, but he searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap or the gate before me in the land, for the land, so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. 
disturbing, convicting words. God himself says, Ezekiel, here's my word. You go and you preach this to the people. I looked among your whole ranks. I looked all over for just one to stand in the gap and pray for the nation. And I didn't find anybody. No intercessor. We've been looking at the 2959 prayer guide and talking about areas of prayer. If you had Peter Lord's hand uh, diagram, we, it shows up on the screen every now and then. Uh, he had five fingers, there it is, for the five kinds of prayer that ought to be a part of your life to some degree. They ought to be five areas of prayer where you're growing in your understanding and in your exercising of those kinds of prayer. Listening goes across the palm of the hand, indicating every time you pray in any of these five ways, uh, you touch the palm and you listen. You praise God and you give thanks and you listen. You confess your sin and you listen. And we've talked about all of those uh, on previous Sundays. It talks about, on the fourth finger, intercession. Intercession. What is intercession? Well, let me give you Peter Ward's definition from the guidebook. Intercession is praying for others. It is praying specific blessings for specific people. Below are some scripture commands that he gives, uh, and then he goes on to make a list of praying for other believers and praying for those in authority and for those who labor for the work of the gospel. He gives a list of a number of areas of intercession. Intercession is standing between God and those who have needs. And he'll talk about prayer petition, which is where you pray for yourself, uh, your own immediate personal needs, but that, that's after this. This is where you as a Christian choose to pray for other people and for circumstances. And you stand between God and those circumstances of those people and you plead the case. You plead for mercy. You plead for wisdom. You ask for God to work. Well, the years rolled by, and Ezra and Nehemiah uh, came back and to the land and rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the temple, and 600 years rolled along, and the days of Jesus came, and Jesus came and died and rose again victoriously, and the church was launched. And central to the leadership of the early church was Jesus' half-brother, James, who gives us a, a powerful, short, powerful, enriching letter one of the very first things written for the New Testament. And he writes about prayer toward the end of his letter. And he says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's James 5, 14. Um, the oil part, can be ceremonial. It can be just a matter of uh, this is what uh, you do to show the presence of the Holy Spirit in the, in the process of prayer. It may be medical treatment, first century medical treatment. And, and James would be saying, do what you know, do first aid, do medical care, to, you know, it's best you know, and then pray about it. But he says, you, you take it to the, to the people. Uh, the elders, the church leadership involved in praying for the people. And he says that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. He, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. We said 
and another message in another context recently. These parts of ministry are never ends in themselves. Uh, praying for people to be healed of uh, physical infirmities is great, but there always needs to be the higher purpose of their spiritual well-being. And James says, about 20 years after Jesus, he's writing, and he, he says, you know, if you offer your prayers and you do so in genuine faith, God may very well heal that person and bring physical wholeness to them and raise him up. And oh, by the way, if there's sin in his life, that'll be dealt with too. He'll be forgiven for that. The assumption built into that, that wouldn't be an automatic thing, but the assumption is if they understand that God has healed them, that they will also seek God. And through that, they'll also speak, seek uh, spiritual wholeness and, and forgiveness. And that forgiveness will come. And James says, y'all pray about these things. You ought to be characteristic of who you are. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. <clears throat> Prayer is the, the greatest, ultimate, underused resource of the modern church. We build incredible buildings. We have tremendous resources and all kinds of literature and fabulous music. And we struggle to pray. James continues, therefore, confess your sins to each other and be careful with that. Everybody doesn't need to know everything about everybody else or what everybody else has done. And that's not James's intent there. But where it's purposeful for you to confess to someone else, maybe something that you did to them, then you do that, James says. Celebrate recovery, they say, uh, every Monday night, they say we do our best to set things right and address issues unless to do so would, would create further harm, and it can. But he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And that's more than just having good blood pressure and, and strong health and no illness. He's talking about wholeness, spiritual wholeness. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray that that you all might come to full healing, to all that God has in store for you. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Tremendous word there. And that's uh, and, and what James says here, coming down the stretch of his letter, when he, he draws all the, it's a whole letter about practical Christian living, and he's, he's, he's punctuating it with a message on prayer and this is the heart of it. The prayer of the righteous man, this says, but the prayer of the righteous, men and women is the intent. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. He doesn't just say all kinds of prayer. The prayer of the righteous, the prayer of those who have a heart for God, the prayer of those who earnestly desire to know the will of God and pursue the will of God and seek God's blessing in hand, their prayer is powerful. Your prayers can be powerful without leaving home, without spending money. You may have to spend time, but without spending money, you can change the world, James says, and Jesus says. 
Ezekiel says that the Lord looked for people that do that and he couldn't find one. No wonder the nation fell and went into exile. It needed a, a dramatic, incredible shakeup and God gave it to them in those days in the Babylonian exile. When God looks down at the modern American culture, a slice of which, maybe even a decreasing slice of which, is evangelical Christianity, what does he see? People standing in the gap for the nation, praying for America, praying for our homes and our culture and, and how we define the core values of life. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. It brings change. Now, uh, when James writes that, he talks about strength, but he says uh, it's sort of a, got a, this participle that's hanging in there, this probably passive, which means uh, what he's talking about, that when the righteous pray, their prayer is being energized by the Holy Spirit. That's the way James writes that. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough. You're not clever enough. You're not godly enough change the world on your own. You don't qualify. But Christ in you and the energizing work of the Holy Spirit can take your inadequate prayer life and change the world. That's the promise of the Bible. That's the promise of this dear man James. Old camel knees he was called. You've heard me say that before, some of you. Camel, have you seen camels? Camel is the, the, the number one animal in the world. It's, it's just an incredible creature, kind of ugly and dirty and smelly, uh, but they, what they can do is incredible. Uh, some of you have spent some time with camels. They're, they're just cool. Uh, they will never win the Kentucky Derby, but they'll wear any horse out, and they will cross incredible uh, terrain that nobody else can deal with. A camel's amazing, but because they're always getting up and down and, and doing what you see camels do. Uh, they kneel on their knees and they got these big old knobby, callous knees. James was, according to church tradition, was such a man of prayer and he did his praying on his knees that his knees were called camel-like. And so he was on camel knees. It's what Ezekiel says God was looking for. Someone who would stand in the gap and James who presided over the church of Jerusalem Paul comes back from his missionary journey to explain what's going on in world missions to the mother church at Jerusalem and the presiding elder before whom Barnabas testifies and Peter testifies and Paul testifies was old Calvinese James, the man who prayed for the church and for the cause of Christ. And not because he heard it in a sermon, but because he's lived it in his own life. He says, this is powerful stuff. This can rock the world. The prayer of not just everybody, but the prayer of the righteous being energized by the Holy Spirit can move mountains. It can change things that were unimagined before. Elijah, James says, was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Elijah's in I can't wait to meet Elijah. I just want to see Elijah. 
What a powerful character of the Old Testament. He shows up in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses. And Moses is there as the symbol of the law. And Elijah is there as a symbol of uh, the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. They're probably the witnesses of the book of Revelation and the end of time. But powerful Elijah. James says he's just like us. He's just another human being. But he prayed earnestly. Prayed it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. God listened to his prayer. And he says, again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Elijah prayed the prayer of the righteous, and the world was changed, powerfully transformed. Now, I want us to be real practical this morning. I want us to think through, what do we do with this? If, if Ezekiel in the Old Testament tells us God is looking for people to intercede for the nation, you can't pray for old Israel in 2,600 years ago. You could pray for modern Israel. You're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But you can especially be intercessors for America, for Georgia, for your world, for where your people live, for where your kids and your grandkids are growing up. You can stand in the gap for America. Now, if you got a 2959 prayer book uh, and you went through it and you see it's got a lot of tabs in there and it's got daily tabs one is marked daily and you turn to the daily tab and, and there you write things that you want to pray about every day the really most important things in your life certainly your immediate family and 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 things that you're involved in on a regular basis of great urgency but then there's a, a Monday tab and a Tuesday tab and a Wednesday tab and Peter Lord has just, and it's not magical, it didn't fall from heaven, he's just logically laid it out. Here's a way to build discipline into your prayer life so that every day you're praying about some things, you're interceding on behalf of important matters in a systematic, organized way. Here's how he's got it organized. On Sunday, you pray for your ministry, and you ought to have a ministry. Something attendance is part of it, but something beyond ministry where you change and shape the cause of Christ, you have a role to play. There's a base for you to cover. We do not need several hundred preachers. I don't think. If we all did that, it would be exciting. But we need a lot of other bases covered. You have a role. What is your role? How has God gifted you? You need, to, on Sunday, Peter Lord says, you get up on Sunday morning and ask God to bless what it is you're going to do for the kingdom that day among the Lord's people. He put down on Monday, pray for your nation. Pray, if you're American, you pray for the United States of America. Don't we need that? Some of you are depressed over that election. Some of you are elated. Let me tell you, whether we sink or swim... It does not hinge on that election. It hinges on what the Lord's people do and whether godly people stand in the gap for this nation. Amen. That new president in the next few days is going to, he's naming all kinds of names. Somebody needs to call ISIS and tell them that a guy named Mad Dog is going to be running the military. But that president's going to appoint a member of the Supreme Court that may be there 30 or 40 years. And that may be the, the deciding vote on how we define family as a culture. 
It may be the deciding vote on uh, the definition of life and the medical issues that this culture will deal with in the next 30 years will be incredible. Our forefathers, my grandfather, doctor, would have been flabbergasted that the, the things that we discuss about what doctors can and can't do or ought to do and what's available to the culture. That court may attempt, attempt to tell the church what it can and cannot preach, what it has to do in various settings. It's a really big deal. And somebody ought to stand in the gap over that issue. The Lord's people ought to have that in their minds and hearts on a regular basis. Peter said, on Tuesday, pray for the lost and the backslidden. Do you know anybody who doesn't know Jesus? If you don't know anybody who is without Christ, then you're not being what you need to be. You've retreated either into your own household and locked the door, or you're huddled up with uh, a few small Christians in your comfort zone, uh, but we all need to know lost folks that need to know Jesus in our neighborhoods and across the world. Does anybody know anybody backslidden? We talk about back, this sort of in Baptist circles use that term over the years. But you probably know, and you may be that person, and somebody needs to pray with you. But you probably know somebody who is spiritually right now not where they used to be. And their life still has tremendous potential for good and for Christ and the cause of Christ. Uh, they can be all that the Lord intends them to be, but they've walked away from that or they're slipping away from that one step at a time. And you can stand in the gap for that person. If there's nobody like that in your family, good for you. But you can find somebody else to pray for. There are people in our community that are struggling and families unraveling and somebody needs to stand in the gap and say, I will adopt privately in, in my own private prayer life. I will adopt that person and I will not let go until that situation is resolved and restored. I will stand in the gap. I will intercede for that person or those people. Peter Lord says on Wednesdays, pray for those in authority. The Bible tells you to pray for those in authority. In our culture, in our system, in our country, in our government, uh, top dog is the president of the United States, at least in one branch of government. Uh, in 2959, he's got it all listed out there where you can write down your congressman. How many of you know your congressman? I saw a guy on TV interviewing people the other day and nobody had a clue who their congressman was or who their senators were. But you can put those in your prayer book, or if you don't have a prayer book, you write them in the back of your Bible and pray for those in authority, uh, whether you like them or not. It is your duty as a Christian to pray for them. You pray for the new guy, and you pray for the old guy. And probably you don't like both. However you come down in the world of politics, you probably don't like both of them. But the Bible says you pray for both of them. And for the ones that will come after them, because there will be others. And you pray for those people that if they're not right with God, that they'll get there. If they lack discernment, that God will give it to them, that they will guide their path, that they'll be protected from bad influence and surrounded by 
godly people. More important than the president that gets selected is the people that the president surrounds himself with. And you pray for those people. When you're flipping through your cable news channels and, and listening to all these appointments that are coming out, you pray for those people. They're going to have incredible impact. You say, it won't bother me, it won't impact my life. It will shape dramatically your grandchildren's world. It will matter. And the Bible says pray for them. Thursday, yes, down, pray for fellow believers, you and I. We've got a room full of Christians here, people that would say, we love Jesus. As they used to say at Promise Keepers, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? We pray for one another. The Bible, James has already said, we pray for each other. We pray for one another. That's our responsibility. And not just when we get sick. Maybe when we're dealing with spiritual matters or dealing with spiritual opportunity. On Fridays, uh, we pray for missions. Missions and missionaries. And you're particular specific role in the Great Commission. I don't know how to do that. Well, learn how to do that. You can't be involved. You must be. You're mandated by Jesus. Jesus, among the last things that he said to his disciples, take it to the nation. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told his disciples after three years when he's leaving them. Then go do this. Go and be the church and take it to the world. Our Tuesday morning group, I've brought this in a number of times. Our Tuesday morning group is uh, going through this. Uh, they revise this about every five years. It's due to get revised. It's, an, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, every week I marvel at what's in there. Uh, the content of it is it goes geographically, nation by nation, describing the economy and the history and the politics, but mostly the spiritual condition of that country. For the last two Tuesday mornings, we prayed for Madagascar. There's a movie, the kids know where Madagascar is, cartoon animals. But we prayed for Madagascar. And there's a church there, a struggling church there, and, and missionaries there, and Bibles being translated there. And you can learn about the nations of the world. Adopt one. Everybody in the room ought to adopt at least one country besides America, besides the United States, and learn everything you can about that country. And whether you ever get there or not, you pray for those people, and you pray for missions there, and you learn about it, and maybe give your resources to it. I've got two, Zambia and Malawi. I love those people, uh, and I love what God is doing there, and I see the incredible potential and I never uh, pass a day without those countries being on my heart. I've been in Malawi one time in an airplane. I didn't even get off the airplane. We just were bouncing through on our way to Zambia. <clears throat> but I've had uh, numerous Malawi students come to class in Zambia. And 18 more will be there in just a few weeks. And you can learn those people and love those people and impact their lives and pray for them and pray for them. And, Malawi, they've had a Muslim president. And they've gotten beyond that, but the, the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the old tribal religions are contending for the hearts and the souls and the eternal destinies of those people. Somebody needs to stand in the gap for Malawi. Somebody needs to stand in the gap for 
lots of places. And you can be that person from the comfort, and I do mean the comfort, of your own home. And you're left over time, you can do that. Saturday, we pray for special burdens, just things that are especially burdensome to you, and everybody in the room's got something. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is, and everybody in this room has got something that's a weight that they carry with them about what's going on in, in their life, or their kids' lives, or their grandkids' lives, brothers or sisters, and you can carry that. Uh, under the daily tab, he's just got things like your own family and your own church, and <clears throat> put down your own Timothy, whoever you're helping, uh, Timothy's Paul's understudy, and whoever you're helping in the next generation to get where they need to be in the cause of Christ. I love seeing people half my age pressing on, seeking God's will. It's an awesome thing. It's a great thing. Ezekiel says, the Lord says, I looked, looked for people that would pray. I didn't find any, any. I'm persuaded of much better than that in the modern United States, but on a percentage basis, they're part of, they're pretty hard to find. People who understand what intercession is about and who really commit to that. And there's nobody here this morning that couldn't do that more effectively than they are today. So here's the invitation as we close. Intercede for America and for the nations and for yourself, but for your family and your church and your community that God would be involved. You are called to that. All of you are called to that. That's who we are. The prayer of the righteous, being energized by the Holy Spirit, James says, it's very powerful. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you invite us to pray. You have invented and ordained and set up the structure of prayer. And your word teaches us how to do it. And we are swamped and, and covered up in things about which we could pray. And we are reminded again as we look at James's words, and as we hear from Ezekiel, we're reminded that without you, we are destined to fail. With you at work in our lives and with us prayerfully seeking you, your hand of blessing will guide us. And so we seek you for our nation, for our homes, for our church, for our missionary ambassadors around the world. Father, we pray uh, that you would guide Teach us to pray, uh, as the disciples asked the Lord Jesus himself. Lord, teach us to pray. We ask in Jesus' name.